I'm Bryce Butler from Access Ventures, and this is More Than Profit, a show where I talk with founders, investors, entrepreneurs, and leaders of all kinds about living and working with purpose, how they do it, and why. Welcome back to More Than Profit, and this is episode 39. Uh, we are changing up the format, like I mentioned last episode, where we are releasing one a month. Um, last month, we talked to Marcus Stubbs about the No Homelessness campaign. And this month, I'm talking to someone I've worked with for a, for a long time. In fact, he and I were just joking. It's going to be very difficult to get this into a tight time frame because we get together for a beer and it probably lasts three to four hours. So without further ado, David Tolliver is the founder and CEO of LenderFit, uh, one of the portfolio companies of Access Ventures. And before that, he worked at Access Ventures, overseeing our micro lending strategies, created a couple different tools, um, and has done some really cool things. But I'm gonna let him talk about all that. First off, David, thanks for being here. Um, I want to kind of talk a little bit about what predated Access Ventures. So where are you from? What did you do before Access Ventures? How did you ever get to Access Ventures? I think that's an interesting story in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah, thanks for the intro. Um, sure. Well, yeah, let's just dive right in. Um, yeah, so I think, so when we're talking about Access Ventures, we'll just put a, a spot in the timeline. So came on board with AV, uh, you know, really late 2013. Uh, so obviously some time out in the workforce prior to that. Uh, and so I had, uh, straight out of college, I had actually joined a, uh, a mortgage broker office, uh, getting leads from an online marketplace back in the day. I started in tw 2006, just before the crisis hit, got a chance to, to peek behind the curtain and see all of the craziness that was going on, uh, in mortgage land, uh, in 06 and 07. And so, yes, uh, spent about a year there and then moved over to an energy consulting company, uh, had a role as an analyst, and I was really behind a computer a lot. I kept asking to talk to customers and no <laughs> one would let me. And, uh, and, and so, yeah. And then the other thing that I realized was I kept trying to change the processes. Um, you know, there, we had a, we had a set, you know, I had to run like three, three, 400 RFPs a year. Uh, sounds so exciting. Yeah. Um, and, and there was a set format for presenting the information, you know, but when you do three or 400, you get ideas on how to improve that. Um, you know, but if you're not in a, you know, if you're not an entrepreneur, you know, if you have a larger company, they really want someone to just do the same thing over and over again. So, um, so some, some of the inklings and some, some, you know, stirrings inside around, you know, just being, wanting to be able to express, be, be more creative, um, you know, apply some of the ideas that I had to improve things. I uh, started to get restless. Um, even before that, even growing up, uh, really just kind of trended towards entrepreneurship. So classic, you know, cut grass, uh, <laughs> would hop on my bike and put flyers around the neighborhood. You weren't allowed to put them in the mailbox. That's illegal. So I would rubber band them to the flags outside of the mailbox. <laughs> and um just disappear on a saturday and get get the get the flyers out um you know i had a garden at one point that my mom convinced me she 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 was perceptive enough to know that it would she would end up taking care of the garden but <laughs> i was gonna sell vegetables door to door <laughs> sold little keychains and cards and things in school so i think most entrepreneurs have those stories when they were kids um and really went through a season in life where just thinking that maybe somehow business or or um, yeah, business was was not the greatest thing. Was somehow maybe evil, or or people were just chasing profit, or what or whatnot. 
um, and, and went through a big season in my life just trying to kind of dial all those urges and desires back. And, you know, really leading into AV, um, you know, realized that I couldn't really not be that way. Yeah. And so the chance to, uh, to work with AV, and I knew AV was interested in access to capital, micro lending, micro loans. Yeah, but let's uh, stop there real quick because I think some of the things you're hitting on, um, I do think it, it's helpful because you and I met before Access Ventures. In fact, um, it's kind of crazy. I, I, looking back, I think sometimes it's like you and I have ch- chatted about this, but the people that take those early risks, like obviously you were newly married, working at an energy consulting company, and one, you, you kept in contact with me as I was working at uh, Blue Sky, uh, a family office uh, in the area, and always kind of like, hey, is there something I can get involved in? If we're hiring. Uh, and then when I started Access Ventures, you know, roughly 2013, like you said, established formally in 2014. We're, I think some people forget we're new in, in the ecosystem. Um, you literally just got married and you're, you're going to your father-in-law and say, hey, I'm going to quit this like cush <laughs> job uh, at an energy consulting company and go work with this startup. In fact, I'm the first employee or one of the first employees. And yeah, at least I've got health benefits. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. A startup nonprofit for exactly. that matter. <laughs> exactly. I, you know, I was like, I can't imagine that conversation in his, his in now uh, me, the father of uh, four girls, and my future son-in-law potentially coming and saying the same thing. Like, hmm, interesting. Let's yeah, talk about yeah, that. yeah. Our first child was six weeks old. Yeah, that's right. And uh, you know, and so yeah, there was definitely that conversation, and it was one of those, you know, what like is, this doesn't seem like a good decision. <laughs> Not that it, you know, and, and my father-in-law's great, you know, it's just one of those moments where it's like, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and wisdom there too, of just like, you know, Hey, you're about to have kids and there's, they're going to be expensive. Yeah. But, um, but I remember like when I started access, um, really was the wild, wild west. And so far as like, we had a general thesis, but we didn't know exactly what we were going to do. In fact, I hired you mostly because of your drive and your passion to do something different um, with really nothing shaped. I mean, you came in to shape it, which is kind of what we're leading towards, like with LenderFit. Like, I don't, I don't remember giving you like, hey, go do these things. It was more go figure this out. And the challenge was like, hey, you're, you're now running microfinance. We care about access to capital. We're working in communities that are underinvested. Help us figure this out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's funny. I, it's better. It, it's so neat because when you, you go into a new role and so many people struggle with, you know, imposter syndrome. And I had never, while I'd been a mortgage officer in the past and, you know, I, I, and I had studied finance, um, you know, I'd never run a loan program. And one of the first tasks was how can we create not just a loan program, but an innovative loan program, you know, that that factors in some of the traditional review metrics, but thinks about them in a new way that, you know, again, increases the ability to access capital for underserved markets. And, and uh, yeah, and so I remember the first year or two just thinking, gosh, you know, wow, am I like, I, I've never run a loan program before. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, something, something sunk in, you know, two, three years in, and I, and I share this with, you know, every intern I work with and, and um, you know, it's just saying like, hey, like, you know, the imposter syndrome feels really natural and you're going to feel that, you know, as you go into new things, but it's, it's, it's also an advantage. And so, you know, if we, if I had come into, 
AV with a deeper history in lending and particularly commercial lending, there's no way that that we would have had the the creative outcome of kind of what the growth loan is today, uh, you know, even leading to LenderFit. Um, you know, truth be told, and this is a funny story, in their first committee meeting to review a, lo- a growth loan borrower, uh, before the committee started, we had a committee member quit <laughs> because they didn't feel like they could, in good conscience, you know, review and make a decision based on, you know, the, the information that we'd put together and provided. Um, and, you know, it's really that MVP. It's like, hey, what's the first committee meeting? Yeah. Uh, and kind of the MVP of the loan package and whatnot. So it was so kind of different and out there that that we even lost a committee member over it. Well, and I, and I think what I've always appreciated about, you know, the work that you've done with Access Ventures and now LenderFit is you are like deeply rooted in the problem. And so I think that's oftentimes the starting point of a good entrepreneur is they're rooted in that problem, the experience of their potential customer. And so in that case, it was a borrower in a local community and trying to understand from their perspective, what are all of these, the pain points they're experiencing and how do we strip those away and make it more seamless for them? Um, and so, you know, that's ultimately how you built the growth loan. It was an MVP, and, and I think we were able to convince some folks to join us as committee members, volunteers, to kind of help us in the decision-making process. So I want to get into the, the nitty-gritty of the growth loan, but it's funny because I, uh, but I want to start a little bit um, on a tangent. We, you built the growth loan, but then we actually benched it for a season, uh, and I think it was intentional because again, back to being rooted in the problem, the problem of entrepreneurs that you had identified was this gap of capital that traditional banks weren't lending. Um, and many entrepreneurs couldn't access because of a nascent or non-existent family and friend network. Um, and while you were building the growth line and actually getting it ready to launch, uh, along came Kiva Zip. Uh, and so we kind of, in a sense, we, we still had the growth loan out there um, but we really kind of shifted focus and said, you know, this is the first rung of that of the capital stack, the capital ladder. So let's let's work to to do that. So explain the kind of Kiva Zip, which now is Kiva US, and kind of your relationship there and how that's also shaped even some of your thinking on the growth loan itself. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think I, I definitely approached early days in the growth loan with with a, a social entrepreneurship hat. And I think one of the marks of a of a social entrepreneur that's a little bit different uh, than than I guess what people would think is a traditional entrepreneur is uh, they're really looking for solutions that already exist to incorporate into a solution. You know, what's the least amount of friction? What, what's already there? You know, without reinventing the wheel. And I think that um, I think that's a an interesting approach and and just makes logical sense. And so here was Kiva Zip, an an already ready made platform out there. Uh, and it was available for small businesses to use, but then we identified, uh, or, or they had started to work with some communities to, to create some kind of hubs of, of activity. And we saw that and we just thought, wow, if someone went and, you know, trained with Kiva and came back to their home community rather than just, rather than kind of going out to a different community for a few months and then leaving and, and returning home, but really took it back home with them, implanted it into an existing kind of trust network and system um, then maybe a community could get even more results out yeah. of that platform. Uh, and so, yeah, so, so, you Which know. Which I think is, is, is worth kind of, you know, pinpointing, putting a little pin in, so to speak, is uh, Kiva launched Kiva Zip as, a, as its own beta. In fact, they called it the Kiva Zip beta. Mm-hmm. Um, it was mm-hmm. an internal kind of 
project of Johnny Price, good friend of ours now at WeFunder. Um, but they basically were, they took a lot of their international standard operating procedures, i.e. fellows, which the fellows internationally, they would parachute someone in for mm-hmm. a period of four to six months to help work with the MFIs and get the presence established in an emerging market. And they kind of, when you mentioned that, the communities around Kiva Zip in the early days, that's kind of how they did it, where they, they attracted fellows and then would kind of drop them into a community. Um, but given kind of the work that you were doing, you went to them and said, well, what happens after that four to six months? You know, And it takes a while in some of these markets to build trust, like you said, trust networks. So talk to me about that, the initial reception of that kind of idea and then um, how that really supported the work you were doing in Louisville and then, and then later in other, other communities. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and two, I'll throw this out there just as we're talking about history. You know, somehow I got clued in. I was in a, I was in a coffee shop one day right after I moved to Louisville, and, so, and there was an older gentleman sitting next to me, and he had a newspaper, a physical newspaper, and, uh, and said, you hear about this thing called Kiva out in California? They're doing these microloans to entrepreneurs. Wow. And so I just, I, I, just as part of my journey, how excited I was to have that kind of come full circle and to look at Kiva and to realize that they had a U.S. program that we could maybe, you know, work into this, mm-hmm. you know, years later. And so, um, yeah, yeah, it was interesting because, you know, the, the max loan amount on Kiva at the time, I think was just 5K. And if you came back for a second loan, you could do 10. Well, you know, in our in our particular part of the world, um, you know, we had identified a, a really meaningful kind of ambitious loan amount uh, for a non-collateral, non-credit-based loan that we wanted to execute on in the growth loan uh, was really like 35K. And so that had us thinking then, how do we layer these? You know, if, if, um, if they're lacking some of the friends and family money, have they at least been around long enough to get three grand on Kiva? Uh, if they come to us first, are there aspects of their loan use and what they're trying to get capital for that we can just direct them to Kiva and they can do it simultaneously and you know, like start their Kiva process while working, you know, within the growth loan. And so a lot of that just started to, to take place. And, and again, with this mindset of, hey, the growth loan doesn't have to be the end all be all solution. If anything, we really strategically need to make sure that it's part of a stack. And so, you know, really just, you know, taking what we learned from Kiva in implementing that and and making sure that the growth loan wasn't a competitor but was really complementary with with that Kiva process. And so, you know, that and that and that seemed to work really well. I think it still works well today. Uh, and then as we talked about Kiva amongst the community, uh, and, and then even in future communities as as we went and talked around the country, I think what we found was there was a real appetite where either the city or a corporation or or maybe a, a high net worth individual or a family um, had a significant amount of money set aside because they wanted to increase access to capital, particularly for smaller businesses, women and minority-owned businesses, et cetera, of which, you know, Kiva is amazing for doing that, uh, and so is the growth loan. And what we'd go, we would go into these communities and realize that there were these little pots of money, and they were just sp- sitting there, and the ideas had been sitting there for years because there wasn't a mechanism to actually get that money out into the community. Um, you know, let alone revolve it in the community and, and um, you know, recycle those funds through through more loans. And so, yeah, I think that the, I mean, I think that the reception was pretty great uh, from that perspective. And then, and in a lot of ways, you know, as we as we talked to other communities, they were excited for a fresh idea to come in. Um, you know, I think most cities and communities, you know, they, they they know each other pretty well already. They know each other's ideas. Yeah. 
And when a new idea comes in and it's been proven elsewhere and there's already an existing kind of network of, of lenders or TA providers or you name it, um, you know, well, if it's in. Yeah. And I think, um, man, we could talk just an hour on, on the work with Kiva and lessons learned. I think <clears throat> to kind of highlight a couple of, of aspects of that that I think are, are helpful. One, as a, as a true entrepreneur, you are constantly innovating and adapting the deployment strategy. Uh, first and foremost, suggesting like, hey, let's let's have the fellow from the local market so they're not like being parachuted in so they can actually build a network of trust within a local context. So because like the goal over time is that we've actually normalized um, and made like this idea of Kiva is more normative. Like when you think about I need access to capital, that's your first step. It's like 0% up to $10,000. But in order to do that, we saw this massive awareness and education gap. Uh, and the only way to overcome that was through consistent and repeated uh, attention drawn to this. And so you went from like, hey, let's just do a Kiva fellow for 12 months. It's from the local context. And we were able to get Kiva to buy into that. But then also like, hey, wait a minute, we actually need a fellow for more than one year because this person needs to be sustained in that local market. And so you were adapting this community strategy as you went so that ultimately the goal would be that someone within economic development whose job is to help small businesses access capital, they would see Kiva as a tool Mm -hmm. that they could use uh, to support businesses in their local market and that really all they have to do is be that advocate, that that person that's helping connect them to this online resource that oftentimes lies, lays there uh, somewhat dormant because people don't know about it. And we've seen the same thing now with, with WeFunder as we're doing stuff uh, with them. And so I think, one, you've, you've adapted that strategy and you actually helped launch not only Kiva in Louisville, but also in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Columbus, Ohio, uh, and then kind of in partnership with LISC, um, helped write a playbook. So if people are interested in learning more about that, uh, there is a playbook out there uh, to kind of help identify ways that your community can adopt and adapt uh, Kiva as a tool for for supporting small businesses. But then you took, you took that, those lessons there, and we're constantly evolving the growth loan. Um, so... Um, so that we can get to lender fit, if you could, like, what is the growth loan and um, what what are some of the lessons that you've learned probably over the last five years of, of kind of initiating and now deploying the growth loan in a local market? What are, what are some of those lessons? Yeah, so the growth loan is a non-financial collateral, non-credit based loan program for businesses with at least a year of history. Uh, and so, you know, there's so much that changes in the first year. It, it's, it, it is just tricky to get much capital out to pure startups. Uh, I know there's other groups out there that have really focused on that and getting larger amounts out to pure startups. Uh, but we just decided, hey, one year is still pretty aggressive and we want to be able to deploy 35K because that's a, a more meaningful amount than a credit card or, or whatever it's going to, you know, whatever substitute you want to put in there. Um, yeah, and so you know, as we as we started down the path, one of the things that that became obvious real quick was that uh, the entrepreneurs that we spoke with, or that I was meeting with, they could describe their business quite easily, and I could ask them questions about their product and how much are they selling it for, and why did they do that, and you know, are they concerned about the margins there between you know the ingredients that are going into the food they're making or whatnot. And really have just a wonderful, you know, vibrant conversation. But if I ask those same people to provide a balance sheet or a P&L or put some of that into more of like a business canvas format, it was a real struggle. Uh, instantly, it was a it was a speed bump. Mm-hmm. And it's not because uh, it wasn't an intelligent factor. These people were plenty intelligent. 
Um, but they were all, it was it was certainly a time factor. You know, they're running a business, and every time they apply for capital and it doesn't work out, that's a lot of time lost and uh, and, and a blow to the entrepreneur of just maybe this isn't worth my time in the future. Sure. And so, you know, how can we meet the entrepreneur where they're at? Like we had had this whole set of rules kind of foot forced down from, you know, on high over the decades of what is necessary in a loan package. But what happens when you show that loan package to the committee is they ask questions, you know, great. Well, we got the P&L. Okay. Why did your revenue spike in Q2? Well, okay. There's some big conferences and events and it always spikes in Q2. Okay. That's interesting. So what I realized was that the, the numbers there was always questions afterwards and it was really understanding the information that was more valuable than having it in a specific format. And so we, we started to pilot this more narrative approach to the process. You know, how do we, how do we just ask the questions that the committee is going to ask anyways, when they're looking at the numbers and get those answers, if that's the end goal of where we want to go. And so, you know, that was a big lesson learned and, and, you know, we spent several years, you know, really fine tuning and tweaking that idea of, of kind of a narrative approach um, I also mentioned that uh, it was a non-financial collateral-based loan. A lot of times if I talk to traditional lenders and I mention this program, they're, they're like, oh, you probably only got half your money back, or isn't that a grant? <laughs> um, and it was different because what we offered, the opportunity we were offering was, hey, at the end of this review process, you're actually going to pitch your loan to the loan committee in person. And so you're going to stand up in front of these folks that you could see at the grocery store or at the next small business meetup event or with the SBDC um, and and folks that are going to be around and and know of you and have be influential as you seek capital around town in the future and so really it was substituting that idea of social collateral and social yeah. capital and that was that's certainly a big thing that's on Kiva as well this idea of social capital <clears throat> yeah and I think you know I don't want to zoom past it um, but I mean the genius of the growth loan is like again being rooted in that problem and the, and the problem from the perspective of the business owner that's needing access to capital because I think like you said we've we've just assumed that the process of getting a loan has been this way for a very long time but ultimately like what you're really saying is like no we're we're trying to go back to the old days of community banking where you could actually walk in and you knew your banker and there was more of a trust network related to kind of the capital and yes financials were considered and we're looking at those things but a person is able to nuance that uh in different ways um and so even the the notion of your committee that's volunteers to have the ultimate decision power on the loan they're able to interact with that borrower uh, versus at a traditional lending institution where they send in a packet and they may or may not get a callback. Um, or, and a lot of times it's made based off of just data inputs into a system. And so, you know, really, I think the, the radical kind of genius, and that's, I don't use that word lightly, but of the, the structure of it, and, and it's not easy. I'm not trying to say that like what, what you built is an easy thing to implement because it's narrative. It's, it's people based. Um, and I think that's the complexity of it, but it's the beauty of it as well, is that we're, we need to radically question the or, origins of things like credit scores uh, or how we got to um, these decisions. And oftentimes what we recognize in traditional finance is it takes the same amount of time for a person, a loan officer, to make a loan of $100,000 or more, same amount of time. So when, they, when they're a business as a bank, it, time is money. And so that's what happens oftentimes is a lot of these lower dollar loans get squeezed out. And when you say $35,000, that number was not arrived at lightly. That was 
what the SBA and Coffin Foundation and others have identified as an amount that small businesses need to get started. Um, and oftentimes that's the most critical amount of money and it's the most difficult for them to access. And so um, I think if I could, like talk to us a little bit about just some of your lessons around like the exclusionary just structure of traditional finance that uh, the growth loan and other strategies like Kiva, like we mentioned, are trying to radically just question. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, yeah. So let's talk about credit score. Um, you know, one of the brilliant things about our economy and, and the way that we've been able to move so quickly and grow as a country is this idea of a credit score, some sort of centralized um, scoring mechanism to where I don't need as much trust to do business with you. So if I wanted to, if no one in Louisville was willing to give me a loan or Southern Indiana or Virginia or whatever in this region, um, I could then contact someone in California and maybe I fit, fit their you know credit profile. And we wouldn't need to have that long-term existing relationship because they're just trusting the credit score. And so I, I do love the fact that you know, the speed and the growth and the access to capital that the credit score created. But, um, but you know, one of my concerns is that normally when people advance systems, financial systems, they, they get really complacent uh, with thinking that the solution they've put in place is a long-term solution and not a kind of justice solution. Mm. And so... You know, I think that the advent of a credit score and an honest credit score, not one that's kept by, you know, the equivalent of bookies, you know, that are <laughs> writing, you know, slurs and everything inside of it, which, you know, the, the history of credit scores is really fascinating. Um, but, um, you know, an honest credit score, you know, it's great, but it's not enough because, you know, it's a justice thing, right? It was, hey, this isn't fair. You know, people are keeping inaccurate records of my history mm -hmm. or there's a reason I shouldn't get capital and why can't I prove it to somebody? So there's a good reason to do the credit score, but as that got implemented, you know, there were systemic issues that are actually keeping people out of building the credit score, building the credit history, yeah. you know? And uh, depending on the color of your skin or where you come from or the neighborhood you grew up in, you just may not have access to the the, the tools and products that allow you to create a great credit yeah. score. Um, and it's interesting what was intended to be potentially one data point, a way to kind of coalesce all of this financial data into a thing to for consideration became the consideration yeah, and has created uh, a, a, almost like a, a wall uh, that's, that's or a, a moat or whatever your analogy you want to use between the borrower and, and the capital they need. Yeah. Um, so. yeah. Yeah. And I find that people are so comfortable, you know, it's convenient to say, you know, the past doesn't necessarily predict the future. But when it comes to applying for capital, that's exactly what people are saying. Yeah. You know, your past is absolutely what's going to occur in the future. Hmm. And so I'm not going to make a loan to you. And one of the neat things about the growth loan was, you know, we, we tasked the committee to be forward thinking. Hey, number one, credit scores, another shortcoming of a credit score is it's, it, it may not be accurate for the last six, 12 months. Yeah. You know, what, what are the histories and the patterns and what are the things that have changed in this person's life? Um, you know, and that affects speed. You know, it's, I'm not saying with the growth loan that you can review a thousand loans a month. You know, it's going to take more time and effort, um, but people are worth it. Right. And, uh, and and if more institutions have that as one of their products. Yeah. And it just comes back to that stack. You know, it doesn't mean we'd stop doing lending in the current form or fashion. It just means that we continue to address the fact that there's people being excluded. Mm. And what are the new products and new ways of reviewing that we need to come up with, yeah. you know, to include include those individuals. 
That's that's a that's a great way to look at it. Um, well, so for the sake of time, I do want to get to LenderFit because it's your current baby. Um, so let's do that. But I think if anybody wants to learn more, uh, growth loan render.capital backslash growth loan uh, is the current kind of one that we're operating in in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, or you can email us in and we'll we'll get you some information. But let's talk about LenderFit because literally LenderFit is. And in some ways, the full maturation of all of these experiences that you've had uh, in building a microlending program uh, with Access Ventures. So what is LenderFit? Yeah. Uh, so the, the simplest way to talk about LenderFit is to say that it's a, a client-facing application management system. And the reason why we say that is because there's three tools that, that most capital providers need. You know, everybody, every, and it, almost any organization needs a CRM, you know, and so you need a way to, to track clients and customers. And then, uh, and then particularly when it comes to lending, you have to have a portfolio management tool. So the ability to, you know, uh, you know, track loan payments and keep up with what's uh, been paid and what hasn't and, and the risk of your portfolio, et cetera. And so there's a lot of tools that have been really dialed in. There's a lot of off the shelf CRM tools. There's plenty of loan servicing tools out there that are really set up to design, you know, to do those functions. Um, but going back to that whole, you can have a conversation with a small business and understand a lot of things, but if you ask them to just submit information, it, it causes all sorts of roadblocks and delays. Yeah. Uh, they're really, you know, in lending today, and, and most major lenders are identifying this as well, um, you, you know, the application process, all these tools say, okay, do your marketing, uh, get the leads in, get the application, now do the underwriting and move forward. And I, would say, and I always say like, whoa, 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 whoa. How long does it take you each week to quote unquote get the application? Because the application isn't just a questionnaire. It's all sorts of documentation. It's understanding the documentation as it comes in. It's running analysis on the documentation. And so um, that's where people get tripped up. And that's where you saw all these news articles during PPP and during uh, you know, the COVID relief programs was you know systems were crashing. They weren't designed to handle... 500 or 1,000 applicants a day, et cetera. And so we realized, okay, if we had a better, uh, a better method of kind of explaining the journey, and, and, and that's key to understanding LenderFit as well, is you know, with LenderFit, you're actually creating a customer journey uh, that's repeatable and your whole team can use it and it kind of centralizes that process and it also means that it's improvable. Uh, as, I don't know if that's a good word, but uh, <laughs> as you go along. And so, uh, and so, yeah, and so, you know, a big part of what LenderFit is, is it's also a client-facing project management solution. Yeah. You know, when you're working with an applicant and people on your side, multiple people on your team, uh, and you're going back and forth and you're hitting certain milestones and going through different review phases, that's really a project. Right. And so, uh, up until now, really, lenders have not been treating it like a project. They've been managing it via email and phone calls. Uh, I've talked to lenders who are mailing thumb drives around, who are printing off records and mailing records? Yeah, um, you know. Well, and then yeah. it makes it, and I think what you've identified again, rooted in the problem, but the problem from the perspective of a business owner. And so the problem, oftentimes, that a business owner faces, maybe they know a lender. Oftentimes, they go first to a bank, but mm -hmm. maybe they know a community development lender or an impact lender that probably should be their first starting point. But if they if that person doesn't know the next person, they all have different loan products, and then they start down this path of building an application, and they don't know this this world of capital that that they potentially could be open to, which kind of gets to some of the future stuff. But even there, when they walk in, especially what we realize with COVID is a lot of that's paper driven, <laughs> um, and and 
and it's not transparent. And you don't really ever know where you are in that process. And it's one more piece of paper. And then, like you said, the loan officer themselves is spending so much time with text or email or phone calls like, hey, I need this document. Hey, I need this. And so it just prolongs that loan cycle uh, and makes it really, really difficult for the for the business owner who just critically needs that capital. Um, and I think what's interesting is what you've articulated as LenderFit, I think, is where you are today and so far as like, okay, we've figured out some product market fit and so far as like this is what service and opportunity we provide. But if you could go go back to the very kind of first moments of LenderFit and what was driving the decision to build it? Like why why did LenderFit need to exist? What was that problem that you were solving for uh, that now has kind of become this kind of client-facing project management tool that I think is really interesting but what was that problem that you were you were trying to solve for in the early days yeah so the first inkling of LenderFit was really around the problem of as we got small businesses into the growth loan a lot of times they were so early not necessarily early stage but so new to the challenge of accessing capital that uh, that they they thought even the growth loan wasn't uh, wasn't a, a fair loan product you know, um, I think at the time, you know, most of our loans were about 7% interest over three years. No credit, no collateral. A lot of times we're having to really coach people through and even help them create their financials to get through this. And and really they would say, well, I got a mortgage for this. You know, why why is this, you know, business loan more expensive? And there's a whole lot of reasons why. Um, but we know that that was really an amazing opportunity uh, to get that type of capital on those type of terms with that type of information. And so, you know, one of the things that we were trying to do initially, just, you know, the initial thought was, you know, what if a business could actually get get their information into a platform of some sort that gives them more perspective on what they could even really access, kind of manages their expectation. And so that's certainly a theme, you know, if there's one takeaway from the first thought of what LenderFit could be, it's this idea of managing small business owners' expectations. And, you know, that that's kind of what loan officers and lenders spend half their week doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, and, and really I think that the the goal of managing expectation was really to create a smoother, uh, more amicable, you know, loan process where, you know, if someone had a little bit more clue, if the power dynamics were shifted, where they felt like they had been informed from maybe a third party tool or something like that, uh, cluing them into, hey, this is where you're at, this is what stage you're at, it doesn't mean that you're not going to grow and be amazing and, you know, be able to access more capital in the future. But, you know, given your history and where you're at, um, you know, you're probably only eligible for some micro loans or some credit builder loans from CDFIs or, or your local, you know, chamber or something like that. Um, you know, because when people come in, especially when it's their, when it's some of their first times applying for capital, that, that power, they're, they're really frantic and, and anxious and, and, you know, they know how to run their business. They don't necessarily know how to speak lender. And so that happened with the growth loan and that also happened with mainstream. I, I remember tagging along one of the, there's a story of working with a, a local business owner that's really key to the history of LenderFit too, where I tagged along on a, a meeting to a traditional lender. We walked into a bank together and I, and I just kind of sat in on that meeting. And it was really that, that same, same concern, you know, of like, hey, I'm stepping into your world, lender. I'm used to, I'm used to managing my business, but it's hard for me to know really what you're expecting, what you're looking for. Uh, am I going to say something wrong in this first meeting <laughs> that's going to somehow disqualify me? Uh, and so, yeah, so could there be some sort of expectation management tool that, um, 
you know, is more empowering to the small business and, and also smooth smooths out the entire process as a result. Yeah. And I think as someone on the sidelines, somewhat watching it, I think what was really impressive to me was your ability to, uh, build in elements to lender fit that I think sometimes people just assume or, um, but I, but I think we're really, uh, unique in so far as like, uh, talk to us a little bit about what, as you were building it, what were some of the unique features just of LenderFit that have been super meaningful to some of your customers? Yeah. Yeah. So, we, you know, what I mentioned earlier, CRMs and portfolio tools and rightfully so the folks that built those tools were going to the lenders and their customer, you know, who was their customer. Uh, to see what features they needed. And I would really call those tools more back-end tools, and so it makes sense to kind of go to the lenders and figure that out. With with LenderFit being client-facing, we really need to consider two customers, the small business, the customer of our customer, as well as the lender. Yeah. And, you know, what it's meant to small businesses are some of, the, you know, some of the feedback and the quotes that we receive. I mean, again, going back to PPP, I remember talking to businesses that worked with lenders who were using LenderFit, and before that, they were applying with some big national bank. And night and day, they would actually use the phrase, I enjoyed the process. You know, any, anytime I start a conversation off with a small business, there's a lot of great things that they could say. But anybody that says, I, I, I really liked it, <laughs> I really enjoyed the process, I feel like that, that, is, that is the win. You know, what, what, what loan application, what financial application have you ever gone oh through? <laughs> Where at the end, you're like, hey, you know what? That was actually a pretty good process. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think I think what you're hitting on are uh, there's a couple of features, and I'm just I'm going to call them out. One, you built it. Um, I think again with the small business person in mind, meaning it's mobile friendly, and so uh, I want to talk to you about yeah. that, like just the document itself and how that has revolutionized the small business owner's ability to submit and to provide many of the documents these lenders are requesting. And then number two, I think transparency is key. So um, I think the fact that a borrower knows generally where they are in the process, that the program or the product, the loan product or the grant product, because you know, that's a whole other story, but you're actually processing some grant applications mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Through, your pro- through your platform as well. They know where they are and they know what the next steps are. Uh, and then I think, so the, those two elements, and then I think the third that I think is pretty interesting as well is the um, reminder or the um, um, notification feature that automates some of the process that has unbelievably reduced the amount of time the lender spends in going back to the borrower for more information. Yeah. Yeah. We talk a lot about personalized automation, you know, and, and when people adopt new technology, they're nervous that it's going to damage rapport, you know, and, and I think most, most conversations, most anybody we talk to is saying, you know, I I do want to still have a relationship with my customer. You know, I want to know them. I want to, I want to make sure that they feel known and cared for. And so, interestingly, you know, without LenderFit, a lot of people are, are kind of failing miserably at that. Mm. Uh, if you've got 100 applications that you're monitoring, you just couldn't hope to catch up with everybody that week uh, or to be as familiar with their application and where they're at in the process at the drop of a hat. And so, in LenderFit, some of the solutions that we do around that is, you know, we do weekly status updates. Again, this is a project. And so... How do we get an automation out there that's personalized to each of those hundred applications of exactly how far through the application are, what's been approved, what comes next, and give wow. them just a super easy pathway to jump back in and, and be working on the application? Um, another way that you know, another way that we we kind of incorporate personalized automation 
is as the applicant is, or as the lender is going through and processing the application, they can focus on processing the application. But as they're making, as they're performing certain activities in the platform, you can turn on notices and notifications that go out to the applicant. So again, if you're working, I mean, let's say that day you spent your time in 20 different applications and you approved 100 different items. There's no way you could take the time to text that applicant the five things that you worked on that day on their application. But with LenderFit, we're doing that. Wow. You know, and so you know the 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 notion of caring for, knowing your your client, making sure that they feel like you know you're in this with them, and then also too, just as a discouragement, again, putting yourself in the shoes of this small business. You really need the money. Mm-hmm. And so if it's been four days and you haven't heard from the lender, that's really frustrating. Yep. So while the lender's doing work, why don't we just kind of send some notifications out that, that they're making progress? And yeah. by the way, we can use those notifications to pull them back in and finish whatever they you know haven't finished in the, in the project. And so that's normally the feedback that we hear from small businesses, uh, that they loved being able to use their phone, that they loved being... They and loved I, the reminders that they knew I, exactly where they were at. Yeah, and the phone is, is just kind of that final thing. Like I think we forget oftentimes some business owners, especially the, the business owners that many of the lenders you work with, they don't have a computer maybe mm-hmm. or the computer uh, is not with them all the time. And the, the ability to use their phone to, you know, to take pictures and upload documents um, is, is super helpful when you're busy making payroll and trying to figure out how to cover the rent and keep the doors open. Yep. Yeah, definitely. You know, some interesting stats from our platform, you know, when, when we're talking with lenders, we ask, you know, do your applicants want to use their phone? Uh, a lot of times they say, yeah, they do want to use their phone. And I'm not, pers- I'm not comfortable texting with my own personal phone. And so, you know, on platform, what we see is about 40% of the activity inside of an applicant, a, a, a business loan application, uh, is done via a mobile device. Wow. And I think that number is a little surprising to most people of just if when it's an option, how many people would prefer to, you know, be able to engage that way. And uh, and then coming back too to the phone, uh, you know, communication, it's, it's easy to underestimate the fact that communication for communication's sake without context isn't, is, is okay. You know, um, imagine sending an email without a subject line, you know, right. you need the context of the subject line. You need, you need additional information. And so, um, two things that are occurring with small businesses as we spoke to them, a lot of people would wait until, you know, 10 o'clock at night. They're running the business during the day. They got family to take care of. And so from 10 to 11 or, or whatever that time frame was, they worked on their loan application. Well, with LenderFit, if the lender has a question and they're getting a text alert with a, the ob- opportunity to click right in and respond to that, when they click in, they see exactly, you know, what is this item? Who sent me the question? What was the last conversations that we had about this? And they can respond on the go. So, you know, getting a quick answer or getting a getting a small business owner's attention in the middle of the day instead of having to wait till the end of the day moves applications along. You can save days or weeks of time. You know, um, just just with people responding faster and, and being willing to give it more attention. Uh, and and if you and if you think about it from the business owner's perspective too, it's just, it's understandable. Like you don't for those quick things, you don't mind answering, but. You know, if, if it's a longer process or question or answer or whatever, you want to wait until the evening. And so there just hasn't been a mechanism to get those quick answers over, quick questions over, um, at least that I haven't seen uh, yeah. in other platforms. Yeah. Well, we're we're still in the midst of, of COVID, um, and it's been with us for, for a long time now. Um, and, you know, we know the global pandemic has been rough on quite a few businesses. So a lot of your customers, so to speak, or the customers of your customers, but for LenderFit, I mean, you launched pre right before COVID hit. Um, 
what has what has COVID been for for you as a business? Um, and and what does that what does that look like? And and how have you been positioned to uh, to really support many of these communities that that uh, that we care about? Yeah. Uh, well, so w- one thing that was really cool was uh, the same system that we designed to help individuals in an office space become more efficient as a team once that information was in uh, was actually perfect for remote work. Hmm. Uh, so we didn't have to make any changes. Uh, and if anything, you know, I think a lot of users thought it were, were thankful for yeah. a solution that actually allowed them to work remotely and still manage all of these applications. So that was a biggie. Um, one of the things that was really encouraging was we, we have more of a national perspective on on the, on the activity that communities are taking to support small businesses. And so it was really encouraging just to see the number of communities that didn't wait for, you know, governmental capital sources and actually took action. They called up the foundations around the city, uh, groups that were, you know, already supporting small businesses and they created their own emergency loans and grants in addition to, you know, some of the other capital that was coming in. Cause there was quite a delay you know, you, you, you weren't necessarily getting those funds right away. And so that was really encouraging just to see how our country reacted to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and to see, you know, uh, and really you started to see different communities that were really leading on the national front because they actually said, Hey, like we're going to take charge of this and, and try to solve the problem. Yeah. And that happened here in Louisville as well. And, and, and Navy was kind of leading the charge and there was some significant contributions from uh the city and other groups that put together an emergency program here even locally yeah i uh, think um yeah. um with linderfit i remember an early phone call that you and i did with some other communities i mean you had just launched COVID's hitting people are trying to stand up all these programs and i think one of the things that stuck out in my in my mind more than anything was obviously, as you said, our nation kind of responding and like, what what can we do to support these these lives, these communities, these businesses? But then, as organizations, and I remember one community in particular, and I won't mention the, the community, but we were talking with the executive director or the CEO of one of these community lenders, and they were mobilizing their team, exhausted, working just twenty four hours a day it seemed, um, but also just terrified because one, they've got to move money fast and they've never moved it that fast before. And they've got to do it when they're distributed as a workforce and their entire process as an organization. And this was not, this was just not just one organization was so paper driven, um, that this person was nervous kept up at night because of the lack of security and emailing all of this sensitive documents or, and so there wasn't for them a secure, transparent, accessible portal or platform uh, through which to process these loans confidently that they could protect the information of these borrowers. Um, and so I just remember that conversation in particular and, and LenderFit kind of was built with that ethos in mind. How do we create a platform that's transparent but also secure and doesn't require, you know, everyone to be in the same location, but information is flowing. Yeah. Yeah. A a big focus on LenderFit was how do we build a solution? Sometimes there are solutions that are necessarily tools that you use after the fact, Hmm. you know, uh, like a portfolio management tool, or maybe you need to update a CRM record of a phone call that you made. Uh, But we wanted LenderFit to be something that 
was more exciting to use because it was actually advancing your work for you. It was doing more of your work for you with some of those reminders and whatnot um, while solving some of those core problems, you know, cause so like secure document transmission is kind of just table stakes mm -hmm. and, uh, and you could achieve that if you used, you know, something like Dropbox or box or some of these, you know, giant companies that fit any industry. Um, but inside of Linderfit, what we realized was, okay, well, how do we combine that base level need of secure document transition transmission with, you know, proactivity and how do we help the lender to be more proactive? Hmm. And so, you know, really, again, going back to that project management approach. So as that information comes in securely and you need to understand it, how do you speak to exactly that one piece of information rather than, you know, having to create an email with five different questions about five different things inside of it. And so just really having the dialogue around each of those securely uploaded uh, documents. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, the exciting thing, again, like I said, I'm, I'm literally on the sidelines just watching watching this uh, unfold and it's it's cool. I mean, uh, you're now in 25 plus different states uh, working with, I don't know, millions of dollars on your platform and and, and, and quite a few different lending uh, organizations. Um, what's next? So as you think about LenderFit, um, what's next for you? What, what are you what are you guys pressing on towards and, and what do you envision is you know in an idealized future? What does it look like? Yeah, certainly. Well, there's kind of the nuts and bolts, you know, there, there's certainly features, you know, kind of on a base level, there's certainly features that we want to lean into and enhance and, and to move forward. Uh, I think we've come up with some innovative ways to, to tackle some of the classic questions that lenders have around, can you afford this loan payment wise? And, you know, do you have the collateral uh, that they might be asking for? And so, you know, continuing to lean into those. Um, but then, too, as we as we think about, again, that dual mindset of not just our customer, but the customer of our customers, how can we how can we create uh, a way for small businesses to even get ahead of the application process? You know, uh, is there a way that we can allow them to be preparing in collecting and organizing their information um, such that, you know, when they do officially apply with another lender who's using LenderFit, all that data is just there already. Um, and or, you know, just making it easier for lenders to, like, how, how can we, when it comes to speed, you know, lenders are always looking for faster ways to process information. And getting the information is one of the key aspects of speed. And so the more we can prep small businesses uh, to move quickly or to bring all the information that they need into an application process, the faster, you know, the, the, then we're solving that speed challenge of how do you get the information to review faster. Yeah. Uh, some people do that through, you know, beaming data into the platform, et cetera. But um, there's a lot of other things that you can prepare a small business for ahead of time that aren't just data related. You know, again, going back to that very, very first conversation around expectation management, um, based on some of the data that they are already put in, what should they be expecting? You know, what can they expect to see and, and, and how can they, in, and how can we, again, kind of prep them for this interaction so that the, so that it's more, uh, you know, more casual almost between the lender and the small business and they can, you know, discuss freely and, and come to a decision faster instead of, instead of, instead of having so much anxiety and kind of, yeah. uh, tribulation on, you know, yeah. the small business side. Well, David, we could we could keep talking. I think one final question is, you know, as an entrepreneur, um, you know, where entrepreneurship is problem solving. It's it's fundamentally what it is. Um, how 
for, for future entrepreneurs or people listening to this that are entrepreneurs or budding entrepreneurs or whatever, how do you, as, as your business scales, how are you and your team remaining rooted in the problem? Because obviously you started, everything that we've talked about today uh, is related to kind of understanding very personally uh, the human experience of that small business owner. How are you finding yourself staying kind of rooted in that as you're kind of iterating the product and kind of scaling that to, to the masses? Yeah, so I'll create a parallel here between the problem in the financial industry that we're helping to solve and how this applies to a team. Uh, and so, you know, going back to this idea of someone in front of a committee, it's not necessarily that efficient to have the person in front of the committee. But one of the goals was how do we get the person off the paper? Hmm. You know, how do we not reduce someone to, uh, you know, the words on a piece of paper? You know, that, that committee was really influenced by seeing these individuals. There were times where they would have changed their vote after seeing the small business and hearing them and getting a chance to dialogue versus just reading about it on, on the paper. And so I think there's a lot of decisions that entrepreneurs and businesses are making where they say, we're devoting this amount of this person's time and, and this person's doing this role and, you know, we can't have them in that this meeting or, or we can't meet too often on this or, or whatever it might be. And, and it all makes sense on paper and it might look good as far as, you know, hey, we're dedicating this person to this role and they're not going to be in this meeting or, or whatnot. You know, but I think that early on in entrepreneurship, like really, really, while your team is small enough, you know, involve them in these conversations. You know, in LenderFit, we we talk about product as an entire team. You know, mm -hmm. we have a, every week we're, we're chatting about the product. And the reason why I love that is no one's going to know your customers more or the challenges you're facing more than your employees, even if they're super junior or even if they're in some role that isn't even product related. Um, you know, you, you have all sorts of wisdom from outside advisors on kind of macro strategy type things, but you know, it's normally your team that knows the most about what's going on. And, and the most interesting ideas could come from, you know, a support individual who doesn't know how to code, uh, or a sales team member, you know? And, and so I, I think that my advice or, you know, having experienced, uh, you know, this early stage, at least thus far, um, is to err on the side of like having a few more of those meetings than you think that you would, uh, early on, you're able to do these things that take a little more time so you can learn how to scale and grow. And if you, if you make the jump to scaling and growing too fast, you may not have found the right path. You know, if you start to scale and grow down the wrong path, it's gets pretty costly and painful to get off that path. And so, you know, really be exhaustive and, you know, spend some of the time that on paper maybe doesn't seem like it makes sense, but in reality, you know, you're actually taking the time up front to kind of find that right path before you hit go. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's great. David, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Next beer is on me. Awesome. And uh, for those of you listening, uh, to learn more, check out LenderFit.io. And you can follow David and LenderFit on Twitter uh, as well to stay up to date. Thanks, David. Thank you. That's it for this month's episode. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and write us a review. This is the best way for other listeners like you to find our podcast. More Than Profit is a podcast from Access Ventures, a private operating foundation with a mission to build a more inclusive and creative economy. Learn more about the work of Access Ventures at accessventures.org. Production, editing, graphic design, and social media is by Render, a new public benefit corporation that envisions a world where opportunity outweighs obstacles. Learn more at workwithrender.com. I'm your host, Bryce Butler. Thanks for listening. <laughs>